Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. First things first, ladies and gentlemen, blessings to all of our active duty military and our veterans out there. Yesterday was Veterans Day. It's a holiday we don't often acknowledge like we should. So a shout out to all you folks out there on active duty and, of course, all the veterans out there. I have two sons on active duty right now, so it's a special place in my heart for the veterans and the active duty personnel. Now, let's get down to business after our blessing to veterans, and that is regardless of what you think about the results of the election, now is the time for introspection and especially an opportunity to plant seeds for the gospel. Now you say, how so? How are we going to plant seeds for the gospel out of this rancorous election? The election is over, but the rejection is not. People right now are protesting the election and the new president-elect, president-elect Trump. Now, by the way, some of those protesters appear to be paid by George Soros. Uh, These are not necessarily organic protests. They are being paid for by George Soros. And uh, if you don't believe me, what you can do is you can go to their very Facebook page. (laughs) MoveOn.org is partially funded by George Soros. You can go to the Facebook page and read about it. They they say they want to be involved in peaceful protests, but you know, some of these protests have not been peaceful. But regardless of who they're funded by or what they're about, my question is, why are they protesting? They obviously believe some great injustice has been done. My question is this. What injustice are they protesting? And by what standard are they judging it unjust? Here's the ironic thing. Many of the people out there protesting are not Christians. They're atheists. Many of them are. However, there is nothing to protest unless God exists. Otherwise, you are protesting without a standard. Let me put it this way. In baseball, a pitch can't be a ball unless there's a defined strike zone. In football, you can't be short of the goal line unless you actually have a a defined goal line. See, something can't be unjust unless something is just. And real justice can't exist unless... God exists because by definition, what we mean by God is the being whose very nature grounds justice, whose very nature grounds what we call goodness, whose very nature grounds what we call righteousness. And any deviation from his nature is what we mean by injustice or unrighteousness or immorality or evil. And so when people are protesting, they're implying that there's a standard outside of themselves. And that standard, according to them, has been violated. Well, my question is, what is your standard? And we're going to see a little bit later in the program as we go through this, how you can turn this around for an opportunity to present the gospel. 
Now, let me start out by pointing to an article that was written uh, the day after the election, a column by a man by the name of Will Ron. And he actually is a CBS News reporter. He had a very insightful article, a column, and the title of it is this, Commentary, colon, The Unbearable Smugness of the Press. Now, here is a CBS News reporter writing an article, a column, and he, he starts it by saying commentary, which is a good start. Why? Because many, and, and this is part of what this man's point is, many of the reports that have uh, been going on during the election were really commentaries rather than news reports. They were commentaries about their disdain for Trump and their adulation of Hillary. But now, after the election, this particular CBS News reporter actually comes clean. And here's what he says. I'm not going to read the entire column. You can read it for yourself. But it's very insightful. It's very revealing. And I think it's very honest. He says this. The mood in in the Washington press corps. And and by the way, just stay with me on this because this is going to feed into our our theme today that you can't protest without a standard. Well, you can protest. You just can't justify it, okay? And we're ultimately going to get get to the gospel here in your opportunity. But just stay with me on this, okay? That's where we're going here. By the way, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk and the American Family Radio Network. All right, here it is. The commentary, the unbearable smugness of the press. This reporter writes this. The mood in Washington, in the Washington press corps, is bleak, and deservedly so. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that, with a few exceptions, we were all tacitly or explicitly with her. He has the hashtag, with her. Which has led to a certain anguish in the face of Donald Trump's victory. More than that, and more importantly, we also missed the story. After having spent months mocking people who had a better sense of what was going on. This is all symptomatic of modern journalism's great moral and intellectual failing. It's unbearable smugness. Had Hillary Clinton won, there'd be a winking, we did it, feeling in the press. A sense that we were brave and called Trump a liar and saved the republic. And he goes on to talk about their glib analysis and they didn't realize that millions would turn out and Trump knew what he was doing. In fact, he said Trump knew what he was doing when he invited crowds to jeer and hiss the reporters covering him. And Mr. Ron says this, they, meaning the Trump supporters, hate us, and they have for some time. And can you blame them? Journalists love mocking Trump supporters. We insult their appearances. We dismiss them as racist and sexist. We emote on Twitter about how this or that comment or policy makes us feel one way or the other, or the other and yet we reject their feelings as invalid. He goes on to say, it's a profound failure of empathy in the service of endless posturing. But much of that starts from the assumption that Trump voters are backward. And that it's our duty to catalog and ultimately reverse that backwardness. What can we do to get these people to stop worshiping their false god and accept our gospel? Wow. What an insightful comment right there. What can we do? This is what a journalist is saying. What can we do to get these people to stop worshiping their false god and accept our gospel? Oh, he's absolutely right. 
You see, he who is a skeptic in one set of beliefs, this is me now speaking, and I'm and actually, actually paraphrasing Philip Johnson, the man who wrote Darwin on trial. Philip Johnson famously said, he who is a skeptic in one set of beliefs is a true believer in another set of beliefs. In other words, he who thinks Trump is a nut actually thinks opposite of Trump is a good thing. Or the beliefs that Trump espouses are bad actually thinks the inverse of Trump's beliefs are good. You can't just say you're against something. If you say you're against something, it implies you're for something else. Well, what are you for? And why is that the right way to think? Why are those ideas the right ideas? If you're going to reject the gospel, we have another gospel for you. And that gospel you ought to believe in. That's what this journalist is saying. He said, we diagnose these Trump supporters as racists in the way dark age clerics confused medical problems with demonic possession. Journalists, at our worst, see ourselves as a priestly caste. We believe we not only have access to the indisputable facts, but also a greater truth, a system of beliefs divined from an advanced understanding of justice. Man, this guy's nailing it, isn't he? He's revealing that journalists think they know better, and then they know what true justice is, and anybody who disagrees with them is wrong. And then he goes on to talk more about how the press has characterized this election. And we're going to talk about it and turn it back to an opportunity to present the gospel after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. By the way, this week I'm at Sam Houston State Tuesday night. I'm at Virginia Tech Wednesday night, Thursday night, Concord University in West Virginia. More on that after the break. Our website, crossexamine.org. Don't go away. One of the more emotional uh, times on our tour of Israel is when we go to the house of Caiaphas. This is where Jesus Christ was held the night before his uh, appearance before Pilate. And we see the dungeon where he was held. And it's just a very striking thing to be there knowing our Lord suffered in this way and was treated in this way. That's one of the places we'll visit is the house of Caiaphas where the trial took place as well. Well, for more information on our tour of Israel and all the places we'll see and all the places we'll go, it's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country. Our phone number is 800-FAMILIES, 800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, 1-800-FAMILIES, option 5 for more information. Or if you want to go on the internet, twholyland.com. Go to the website, twholyland.com. Come see the land of the Bible with us in March. Learn how to use report cards as a tool rather than a measurement stick for your kids. Welcome to Tips with public school educator Dr. Bill Ziegler. I'll never forget a few years ago when my son pulled up his report card and his head slumped in frustration. He was struggling in one class and got a grade that neither him or I were very pleased with. But rather than getting upset or quick-tempered or giving him the normal parent talk on bad grades... What I did was I used it as an opportunity to bless my son and to encourage him not to give up, to persevere, to work hard, and to continue working through this problem, knowing that I believed in him and that he could achieve success in the class. Well, sure enough, my son turned that grade around. I'm proud of my son for working through the failure and persevering to never give up, not just in school, but in life. 
Great educational resources are available at 4tips.org. Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. And I mentioned before the break, I will be at Sam Houston State University with my good friend uh, Tim Ramsey, who organizes all that. Um, this event down there does a great job. Uh, I think it's going to start at 7 p.m. Uh, 6 p.m., 7 p.m. Anyway, it, it it's going to be – I always get confused because I'm in central time zone there in Houston. It's actually Huntsville, Texas. Uh, but it, it this one, I think we're going to we're gonna try and, and uh, stream this. So even if you're not around Texas, you can watch it. Go to the crossexamine.org Facebook page uh, at about uh, – well, check at 6 p.m., then at 7 p.m. Eastern. It'll be one of those two times. Might even be 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll try and figure this out before the break's over or when, uh, during the break. Anyway, it's going to be uh, streaming on our our Facebook page, the Cross-Examine Facebook page. So you can watch the whole thing. And uh, we're going to be doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And then the next night, uh, we're going to be at Virginia Tech University. That is at 8 p.m. Eastern in Blacksburg, Virginia. That will not be streamed. But if you're anywhere near that area, I hope to see you at Virginia Tech. Anyone is welcome at any of these college events. The night after that, we're going to be in Concord University in Athens, West Virginia. That is at 6 p.m. The details are on our website, uh, crossexamined.org. And uh, you can check that out if you just click on events and Frank Turek calendar. It's also on our app, so download the app. And I hope to see you out there this week. Three college events in a row, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sam Houston State, Virginia Tech, and Concord. All right, let's go back to what we were talking about. We're talking about how people are protesting without a standard. And I'm reading from a commentary, a column written by a CBS News reporter by the name of Will Ron, R-A-H-N. The commentary is uh, labeled commentary, titled commentary, the unbearable smugness of the press. And uh, just before the break, I had mentioned a line from the article that says this, we in the press believe we not only have access to the indisputable facts, but also a greater truth, a system of beliefs divined from an advanced understanding of justice. And then this is really about justice. He's right about that. He'd say, then he goes on to say this. You'd think that, a tr- that Trump's victory, the one we all discounted too far in advance, would lead to a certain newfound humility in the political process. But of course, that's not how it works. To us, speaking broadly, our diagnosis was still basically correct. The demons were just stronger than we realized. This is all a white lash. You see, it's what Van Jones on CNN said. It's a white lash, you know, that white voters are racist. And they, they, they voted against the other white candidate. <laughs> I don't know how you get racism from that, but the, the, that they, he did. This is all a white lash, you see. Trump voted. Trump voters are racist and sexist, so there must be more racist and sexist than we realized. Tuesday night's outcome was not a logic-driven rejection of a deeply flawed candidate named Clinton. No, it was a primal scream against fairness, equality, and progress. Let the new tantrums commence. He goes on to say this. 
that the explainers and data journalists so frequently get things hilariously wrong never invites the soul searching you think it would. Instead, it all just somehow leads us to more smugness, more meanness, more certainty from the reporters and pundits. Faced with defeat, we retreat further into our bubble. Assumptions left unchecked. No, it's the voters who are wrong. As a direct result, we get it wrong with greater frequency. Out on the road, we forget to ask the right questions. We can't even imagine the right question. We go into assignments too certain that we will find that what we will find will serve to justify our biases. The public's estimation of the press declines even further. Fewer than one in three Americans trust the press per gallop, which just starts to cycle anew. He goes on to say there's a place for opinionated journalism. In fact, it's vital. But our causal, professional-wide smugness and, pro- uh, and protests of superiority or protestations of superiority are making us unable to do it well. Our theme now should be humility. We must become more impartial, not less so. We have to abandon our easy culture of tantrums and recrimination. We have to stop writing these know-it-all 140-character sermons on social media and admit that as a class, journalists have a shamefully limited understanding of the country we cover. That's Will Ron, R-A-H-N, from CBS News. Again, the title of it is Commentary, The Unbearable Smugness of the Press. I encourage you to read the entire thing. I think he nails many of the points in there quite well. And the point here, of course, is, is that don't confuse me with the facts. I already know what the truth is. This is what the journalists are doing. And instead of being corrected by the results of the election, they... The journalists are just going on to say, no, there's just more racist than we thought. There's more sexist than we thought. Now, there is a standard that journalists believe the country has violated. And many of these protesters out there think the country has violated. In fact, some of the following has been said about Donald Trump, and some of it has even been said about Hillary Clinton. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a list of words that have been used in, in, to describe either Trump or Clinton. Most of these are, have been used to describe Trump, but some of them describe Clinton as well. Listen to some of these words. Uh, xenophobic. That's a new word we probably don't use very often. It basically means hatred of strangers or foreigners. Racist. Elitist. Homophobic. Corrupt. Unfair. Backward. Arrogant, Islamophobic, vulgar, misogynistic, hatred of women, sexism. In fact, it's interesting, little commentary here. Salon, the leftist magazine Salon, called Hillary's loss, quote, the uh, misogyny apocalypse. It was unimaginable that America would self-destruct rather than elect a female president. So, (laughs) according to Salon... The reason Hillary lost is because people are sexist. But if you notice, their very comment is self-defeating. Why is their comment self-defeating? Because they're saying it's important to, inv- to elect a female president. Well, that's sexist too. It's saying that somehow their sex matters. They, they, don't, they, they're, they're, they don't see that their very, their very protest 
is a self-defeating protest. To talk, to talk about the fact that sexism is bad is to say that you have to vote a female president or you're sexist. Well, that's sexism itself. Why not a male president? Anyway, other words used to describe ignorant, bigoted, nativist, scandal plague, an oligarch. What's an oligarch? That's a person who belongs to a small group of people who govern or control a country, like the Supreme Court. An oligarch. Uh, Flawed. Criminal. Of course, that's been used of Hillary Clinton. Now, don't even argue whether or not any of these terms are true of of Trump or Clinton. If you want to turn the discussion from the election to the gospel, don't even argue whether any of this is true of Trump or Clinton. I mean, for the sake of argument, agree with the person making these claims. Say, let's just say for the sake of argument, you're right. But let me ask you a question. Why is racism wrong? Elitism wrong? Homophobia wrong? Corruption wrong? Being unfair wrong? Hateful? Why being hateful wrong? Why is being backward wrong? Arrogant, Islamophobic, vulgar, misogynistic, sexist, ignorant, bigoted, nativist, sandal plague. Why is it wrong to be a criminal? Why is it wrong to be flawed? What do you mean by flawed? By what standard are these things wrong? Are such attitudes and behaviors really wrong? Are they just unfashionable? Are they just against your opinion? Ask those questions and see what people say. I mean, many people out there are right now complaining about Trump. And as I've said before many times, Trump certainly is a flawed candidate. He wasn't my first choice. He may turn out to be a great president. I don't know. He might be the only person out there that can say certain things and actually make a difference that other candidates wouldn't say or other presidents wouldn't say. He certainly has no problem going against the politically correct viewpoint. That might be ultimately a good thing for this country. In fact, I think it would be a good thing for this country if we got rid of political correctness. But certainly, he said some things and he's done some things which are immoral. And we all have. But he, maybe he's, go, he's gone further than, than we would like as for, for a president, obviously. Okay? And obviously, Clinton has done some of those same things. But let's not argue about that right now. Let's just admit that both of the major candidates that ran for president had deep flaws. What do you mean by flaw? What do you mean by they were... Injust. What do you mean by they're corrupt? What do you mean by they were arrogant or backward or unfair or hateful or homophobic or corrupt? What does all that mean? What's your standard by which you claim those things are bad? Bigoted. What do you mean by bigoted? What do you mean by that? You remember Greg Kokel's book, Tactics? We've talked about it several times. You remember those three questions? What do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? Have you ever considered, fill in the blank, whatever it is, Those are the three questions you have to use with people at this point. What do you mean by bigoted? What do you mean by vulgar? What do you mean by arrogant? What do you mean by corrupt? What do you mean by racist? Why is that wrong? Well, we all agree it is wrong, but why? How did you come to that conclusion? Have you ever considered... That for something to be unjust, there has to be an unchanging objector standard of justice. What is that standard? Is it just your opinion? If it's just your opinion, it's not really unjust. It's just un-you. It's just your opinion. I'm upset because this particular thing is unfrank. <laughs> Who cares? 
I'm upset because this particular thing is unmarry. Who cares? That's just your opinion. I'm upset because this particular thing is un-Jessica. Okay, so? But is it really unjust? Is there a standard of justice beyond Jessica, beyond Mary, beyond Frank, beyond Trump, beyond Clinton? That's the standard. That's how you're going to get back to the gospel with this. And by the way, to call somebody backward, as the press calls Trump voters, implies you know what forward is. What is the authoritative objective standard of goodness outside of yourself by which you judge something to be backward or forward? You're implying there's a standard outside yourself. What is that standard? You know what you have to do in order to call somebody unjust? You have to steal a standard of justice in order to do so, especially if you're an atheist, because if you're an atheist, there's no such thing as just or unjust. Everything's just a matter of opinion. You're stealing from God to argue against him. And we'll talk more right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two minutes. Don't go away. Hey, join me this Saturday night, 8 p.m. Central Time, for Living Life with Lauren. Our guest is Shelley Tomlinson, and she's written a book-slash-cookbook called Hungry is a Mighty Fine Sauce. So good. Every page, recipe after recipe, is one that you are going to want to make, especially with the holidays coming up. And she has some devotions, too, and she has a great personality. You don't want to miss it. Saturday night, 8 p.m. Central Time, right here on American Family Radio for Living Life with Lauren. God created us to reflect His glory. Created to Reflect is more than a conference. It'll have breakout classes filled with discussion that help you build a biblical worldview. It's designed for the next generation of believers. The Created to Reflect Conference, coming March 2017. Join apologists Alex McFarland and Sean McDowell at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Learn more at engagemagazine.net. This is Barry McGuire. I'm a car guy, and I love to lead people to Jesus Christ as a layman outside the walls of the church. It's safe to say that when someone captures your thoughts, you hope that you've captured theirs as well. You want to be as important to others as they are to you. Even more so, knowing your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse has been thinking about you all day long makes your heart sing. It's wonderful to be loved that much. And then there's God. How often do you suppose you think about God on a typical day with all of his distractions? You know that God would love you to be thinking about him as often as he thinks about you, but his thoughts about you number more than the sand. As busy as he is, you're always on his mind. What's on yours? Turning every circumstance into an opportunity to lead people to Jesus Christ is God's purpose for your life. And revival outside the walls makes it fun when you rely on our ROTW mobile app throughout your day. Examine with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. Uh, I think we are correct that the Sam Houston State event Tuesday night is 6 p.m. Central, which would be 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and it's a two-hour event. It might go longer. It will be streamed. So go to crossexamine.org Facebook page, and you can watch the live I don't have enough faith to be an atheist event. All right, we're talking here about protesting without a standard and there's a lot of people protesting a lot of people upset about the election of course a lot of people happy about it too uh i i think it 
I think it's going to be uh, much better than a Hillary presidency, I can tell you that, uh, especially for religious freedom, by the way. Um, religious freedom was on the ropes up until Tuesday, and uh, it still could be on the ropes, but it probably won't be as much on the ropes with a Trump presidency, but we shall see, especially that, that has a lot to do with judges, by the way. In any event... Let's get back to our conversation here. Uh, I had read a column about uh, the fact that uh, many folks in the press are upset as to what happened with the election. The column, again, is called The Unbearable Smugness of the Press. You can read it for yourself. But the press was or this journalist was very honest in in uh, the fact that the press was completely on at least mostly on Hillary's side. And now they're all upset as to what happened. Well, if you're upset and if you're out there protesting right now, what are you upset about? By what standard are you claiming that some injustice has occurred? Where, where are you getting your standard by which to say something unjust has occurred? If you're, if you're an atheist, you've got no standard outside of yourself. In order to say something is unjust, something has to be just. But something can only be just in an authoritative, objective way. If God exists, because he, by definition, is the standard of justice. You see, there are no rights. There is no justice. There is no objective standard unless God exists. There is nothing to protest unless God exists, because he's the standard of good by which everything is judged. And so if you're an atheist, you have to steal from God to argue against him. And all this is detailed in our book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Stealing from God, Why Atheists need God to make their case. Now, with that in mind, and by the way, if you want to join the program in the next segment, you can. You want to talk about injustice and protests and what's going on, 888-589-8840, 888 if you'd like to join the program. Uh, here's how you can transition all this to the gospel. You can ask somebody, have you ever been unjust? What standard have you violated? I mean, if someone violates a real objective standard of justice, shouldn't that person be punished for that? In other words, shouldn't moral crimes be punished? Have you ever, have you ever committed any moral crime? Just ask that of somebody. Have you ever committed a moral crime? After you ask them, should moral crimes be punished? Have you ever committed one? Well, yeah, of course I have. Well, would you like a pardon? And see what they say. Because that really is the gospel. God pardons us by taking the punishment upon himself. He takes the punishment upon himself for the evils that we have done, for the injustices we have done. And if we have ever been what these candidates have been accused of being, whether it's racists or elitists or corrupt or unfair or hateful or backward or vulgar or ignorant or bigoted or nativist or scandal plagued or flawed or criminal, if we've ever done any of that, we can have that forgiven because Christ has taken the punishment upon himself. All of those evils imply a standard of goodness that has been violated. And if a standard of goodness has been violated, 
then God must exist because by definition, he is the standard of goodness. And the only ultimately good person who would not have to pay for his own sin is God himself. So he adds humanity over his deity. He comes to earth. He lives a perfect life in our place. And then by trusting in him, you can have your moral crimes pardoned. That's what the gospel is about. 888 589 if you'd like to join the conversation. Now, yesterday, I was in, uh, well, the past couple of days, right after the election, I flew down to, uh, by the way, that was a late night, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I got three hours sleep that night. I went to bed at 2.30 after it looked like Trump had won, but um, Hillary had not conceded. And I said, well, looks like Trump had won. I got to get up. I got to fly early in the morning. Went to lay down at 2.30 in the morning, really couldn't get to sleep. Woke up, got up out of bed at 3.30, turned on the TV on. Trump had already given his, his uh, acceptance speech, and, uh, and Hillary apparently had already conceded with a phone call. Uh, and so it, it was over then. And uh, I flew down to Dallas and spoke down at uh, Prestonwood Academy down there, a great Christian high school down there with uh, several other folks and uh, just a, a great, uh, great school down there in Plano, Texas. And then the next day, yesterday, I spoke at uh, wall, a wall builders event headed by David Barton. Many of you know who David Barton was. And, and that was an event uh, f- for legislators. These were people who were in state and local governments around the country, and they came to Dallas and uh, and the fact, the event's going on still right now as we speak. I walked into the room. I was supposed to speak at 10 a.m. I walked into the, the room at about 10 after 9, and I didn't know this. I didn't know who would be speaking, but Dennis Prager was up there. Dennis Prager was the first speaker, and I was the second speaker. I didn't even know he was on the agenda. I don't know. For those of you who don't know who Dennis Prager is, Dennis Prager is a conservative Jewish radio talk show host and author, brilliant guy, and he has got uh, some amazing videos on a site called Prager University. Uh, If you haven't heard of Prager University, you need to avail yourself of it. He does these four or five minute animated videos on all sorts of different topics related to... uh, related to religion and politics and ethics and these kind of things. Very insightful. Check out Prager University. Anyway, Dennis was up there, and he was talking about voting this in this election we just had. And uh, people were t- you know, talking about, well, voting for the lesser of two evils. And he, he said, well, think about the lesser of two evils vote. Uh, think about it this way. He said, cancer's bad, of course. If you have cancer, it's bad. And so is amputation. Amputation's bad too. But if you have to amputate so you can avoid the greater evil of cancer, then amputation, although in isolation is evil, actually is a lesser of two evils, and it turns out to be a good thing for you. Because if you don't amputate, you're going to die. And some people viewed the election and said, well, I can't vote for either because both are evil. Both of these candidates are evil. Well, newsflash, all candidates are evil. Some of them are just less evil than others. We're all evil. We're all all bent toward evil. But you have to make a choice when you only got two. Yeah, third party. Yeah, I understand. Protest vote. Protest vote's not going to change anything, friends. I mean, you you had to vote for one or the other, uh, in my view, anyway, if you're going to make a difference. Anyway, Prager pointed this out. He also pointed out, this is just a random comment, but... He said, it's very easy to correct the left on their errors because they really just lack an education. They've been indoctrinated into um, 
a a viewpoint that that sounds good, but it's really fallacious when you look at it. He said, for example, on the minimum wage, all you need to say to somebody on the minimum wage is, why not make the minimum wage $100 an hour? And the person immediately is going to go, because nobody could afford to pay that. People would go out of business. Thank you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank you. Of course, if you're artificially setting wages, why not set it at 100 bucks an hour? You can illustrate the problem with setting a minimum wage, particularly a minimum wage that's too high, by just pointing that out. By saying the market won't bear that. In any event, check out Prager University for more. Brilliant guy, Dennis Prager. Now, let me go back to this issue of the election, and that is on immigration. I just discovered an article written in Imprimis. I don't know if you know what Imprimis is. It's a publication of Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College is a very conservative college up in Hillsdale, Michigan. And uh, they put out a a newsletter every month, which I happen to get. And uh, the gentleman in this article was uh, Edward Erler, who wrote an article called Who We Are as People, the Syrian Refugee Question. Now, immigration was a big issue in this election. And uh, folks were calling people like Trump uh, xenophobic and this was wrong to build a wall and to have borders and all these things. Well, let me back up and I'll I'll get to Mr. Eller's article in just just a minute here. And then after the break, hopefully get to your phone calls. 888-589-8840. We're talking about the election and the fact that you have to have a standard to protest anything if you're going to be consistent anyway. Uh, So if you want to call in. 589-8840, 888-589-8840. 589 Anyway, on immigration, a central issue on this particular, in this particular election. Do you know that the number one responsibility of government is to protect innocent people from harm? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. That's the reason. The number two, the number two responsibility of government after protecting innocent people from harm is to ensure that the government doesn't do harm itself to the people. Now, it seems to me, in recent years, our government has gotten these things wrong. We haven't been protecting innocent people from evil, from harm. If we had, we'd have laws against hurting the unborn. And we have been harming our own citizens. And one way we do that is through... um, abortion, and also by having lax border security. Oh, wait a minute. You're a xenophobe, man. I start calling me names now. You know, the Bible presupposes that there will be different nations with distinct borders. Israel has borders. When God promised to Israel certain a certain land mass. He didn't say the whole world. Ultimately, Jesus will rule the whole world. We understand that. But Israel had distinct borders, which implies what? <laughs> that other nations had borders too. Pagan nations are assumed and cited throughout the Bible. In fact, in Numbers 20, when the Jews are wandering, Moses actually asked for permission for the king of Edom to go through Edom, which implies what? That they have sovereign borders. The king of Edom rejects Moses' request, and Edom later pays for it. But you get the idea. Now, Paul actually says in Acts chapter 17, from one man, God made all nations 
Well, I'll have to get to this after the break and then to your phone calls. I'm running out of time here. But we'll make this point and then get to your phone calls at 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. And we're going to be back in just two minutes. So don't touch that button or dial. We're not going anywhere for long. See you soon. I was driving to the office in the early morning darkness. It was raining pretty hard. Big trucks were blowing water everywhere. My wipers needed replacing, wouldn't you know it? I couldn't see my lane. In fact, I couldn't see the lines on the road, and frankly, I was scared. Right then, I saw the taillight of a vehicle in front of me. I relaxed, knowing that all I needed was a reliable light to follow. The Bible says, God's word is a reliable light to our feet and path. In fact, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Can't see? Poor visibility? Maybe the wipers of your life need replacing. Follow the light of Jesus. He'll get you where you need to go safely. For more information, call us at 1-888-NEED-HIM or go to www.chataboutjesus.com. 1-888-NEED-HIM. Putting life in perspective with Harry Reader. Harry, are there racial problems that still need to be resolved in the evangelical church? Yes, there are in two senses. One is even within the church that we have to make sure that we understand we're brothers and sisters in the Lord and the message of reconciliation that is the gospel not only reconciles us to God but to each other. Secondly, our responsibility in the evangelical church to promote reconciliation among people in general. There aren't multiple races. Let's get back to the biblical concept. There is one race called the human race where all the from Adam. We have different pigmentation, but as the book of Acts says, we all call Adam our father. There is the opportunity to have God as your father through Jesus Christ, the second Adam, who redeems us to give us everlasting life, reconciling us to himself and to each other. In Perspective, an outreach of Briarwood Presbyterian Church, Birmingham, Alabama. Visit us online at briarwood.org. Examine with Frank Turk and the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about protesting without a standard. And uh, you can't protest, not consistently anyway, unless there's a standard that you're saying isn't being met. In other words, something can't be unjust unless something is just. That's what we're talking about here today. And many of the folks out there who are protesting have no standard by which to call anything unjust. Anyway, before the break, we were talking about the fact that nations have borders. The Bible presupposes this. I think common sense presupposes this. Paul says in in Acts chapter 17, from one man, God made all the nations right there, made all the nations, not one nation, all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. Get that? Boundaries of their lands. It is perfectly legitimate to have boundaries and borders and to control those borders. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some people have argued, and this comes from Eller's article, the the guy I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Edward Erdler, I should say, E-R-L-E-R, in Imprimis magazine. And his the title of his article was Who We Are as People, the Syrian Refugee Question. 
He said this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, some have argued that the First Amendment guarantee of the free exercise of religion prohibits Congress from banning people from emigrating to the U.S. based on religion. Now, that's what some people on the left have said. You know, it's a violation of the First Amendment to say that people can't come here because of their religion. Now, the implication of that would be this, that that would mean that we couldn't stop jihadists from entering the U.S. because it is their religious belief. Now, it's interesting that these are the same people who deny Christian citizens the free exercise of their religious beliefs. These are the same people, these same liberals want to force Christians to violate their religious beliefs by forcing them to participate in, say, same-sex weddings. These are the same people who are saying that jihadists have to be let, let in here. Now, they won't say it that way, but that's the implication of their policy. They won't say they want jihadists in here. But if they're trying to say the First Amendment protects a non-citizen who isn't even in this country to come here based on their religious beliefs, yet they won't allow Christians who are already in the country and are citizens here the free exercise of their religious beliefs. There's something going on here that just doesn't add up. There's a double standard here. And quite obviously, if we are going to have a government that fulfills its number one responsibility, and that is to protect its citizens from harm, then you can't allow just anybody to come over the border. In fact, Erler in his article says this. He actually says, and I'm reading now, he says, in addition to Islamic terror groups, MS-13, a vicious Latin American gang involved in murder-for-hire, drug trafficking, human smuggling, slavery, and all other manner of crime, operates openly in the U.S. Even when illegal alien criminals are deported, they easily return to commit further crimes. Surprisingly, this issue of illegal alien crime has become an important issue in this presidential election for the first time this year. The criminals are aided and abetted by sanctuary cities, cities that refuse to cooperate with federal authorities in detaining illegal legal alien criminals. This policy is the most baffling policy that can be imagined as it results in criminals being deliberately released into the public where they continue to prey on innocent citizens. It's designed to show what else? Our tolerance. You see what he's saying here? That people on the left call you a xenophobe for wanting to fulfill the number one role of government, and that is to protect innocent people from evil. And one of the ways you have to protect innocent people from evil is to ensure that criminals don't come into the country, whether they are Latin American M13 gang members or whether they're jihadists. That has to be done. But the left calls that unjust. Again, they're protesting without a standard. What is their standard of justice? That's my question. And you can use that to get ultimately to the gospel because everyone, every one of us have violated the standard of justice and we need a savior for it. All right, phone lines. Let's go to Dove in Iowa. Dove, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead. Hello. Um, my name is Dove. Hey, Dove. I like the name. And I just... How are you? My God-given name. I'm great. Beautiful day, pristine, cosmic, divine. And I see an outline for a tremendous healing devotion here in America. America must stand up and rise because he has risen. Amen. We just got to be able to see with all eyes. Yes. As one, is an equal. And if one has no value, then there is no sum. There is no two. You cannot add two if one has no value. Mm -hmm. So we are all one. 
we all know that we were born as love. And if we're all made in the perfect image of God, and God is love, we must learn how to love ourselves. Well, Respect we... self-love by learning to love yourself. We love ourselves because he first, he first, he, he first loved us, Dove. That's, that's, that, that, we're, we're, we are valuable because as you mentioned, we are made in God's image and he first loved us. And uh, so we have to have a healthy view of God and then a healthy view of ourselves because what God has done for us. Now, obviously, we're still sinners and we need forgiveness. And that's why I think we can use this election and the people who are upset about it to point back to the gospel. Because if they're upset about something, they're implying there's a standard beyond themselves that has been violated. Well, that standard beyond themselves, they violated. And so have I and so have you. And so we need a savior. And that's where Jesus comes in jesus that's why i said vote for jesus let's get <laughs> well, jesus in the house well absolutely it, it, ho- hopefully he has risen uh, in america let's rise well he has risen thank you for your phone call dove i appreciate it yeah i wish uh, jesus was running but he wasn't on the ballot and never has been <laughs> but it would be great if jesus would run but you know what i bet if jesus did run we'd reject him man this guy's just this guy's too righteous this guy's gonna gonna put restrictions on us that wow, we don't want. We don't this guy I mean, they killed him. They killed him back then. He was getting in the way of business. He was getting in the way of their little fiefdom. He was he was saying things that the establishment really didn't like. Yeah, so did Trump, by the way. Now I'm not equating Trump with Jesus, don't get me wrong, but now Tragically, Twitter is abuzz with assassination threats. Can you believe this? These are the people who say they're fighting for tolerance. I've noticed that the the most tolerant people, or the, or the people who say they're fighting for tolerance, are often the most intolerant people out there. Why is that? Why is that? Anyway, let me go to uh, one more caller, and that's Marilyn in Georgia. Marilyn, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead, ma'am. Good morning. How are you today? How are you? I'm I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, thank you. Bless Go ahead. You. Yes, I mean, listen to your show, and sometimes I hear people that come on with different views mm-hmm. and different things concerning the Bible, but sometimes I have disagreed, like we all can be specific about our own opinion. But like I'm saying, I was wanting to talk about mothers losing their sons, police that shoot them down with that weapon, and mm-hmm. their children too. And those are mothers, like unborn babies. How would you like if your daughter was a brutally raped by a racist that had AIDS? Would you want to bring that child into the world knowing the life of that child would be a pain, a life of pain, born with that disease? You mean that's what See, people that's ask what you, uh, Marilyn? Sir? Is that what people ask you, are you saying? No, that's what I'm asking because they're talking about killing unborn babies. Oh, oh okay, so you're asking me that question. Uh-huh. All right. Let, let me let me let me ask the question this way back. Um, let's suppose that a politician came along and said, "You know what? I want to keep abortion legal for rape and incest. Okay, but I want to ban all other abortions for convenience. You know, people just don't they don't want to have a baby, right? Would you say I'm with you on that? 
personally, Marilyn, would you say, great, let's ban all other abortions and keep abortion okay for rape and incest? Would you agree with that? No, because they have to reverse that and say, let's keep abortion for rape and people that rape women that are brutally attacked because that's disturbing them mentally and emotionally for the rest of their lives. Right. No, I, I understand, Marilyn, but my, my, my question is, would you agree with a politician who had that position, who said, okay, we will keep abortion legal for rape and incest, but it, it, we have to make it illegal for every other abortion, except for, of course, life of the mother. We understand that. Um, would, you, would you agree with a politician who said that? No. Has one said that? Why not? Why would you? Has one said that? If a politician did come along and say that, like, for example, President Bush, he said the same thing. He said uh, rape and incest abortions will keep, but every other abortion is we're going to make illegal. Would you agree with that? No. Why not? Why would you make it legal to keep the babies that are being women being raped by someone? No. That, that's what I just – maybe you're not understanding me, Marilyn. I'm sorry I'm running out of time. But um, the point here is, is a lot of people bring up the rape and incest objection like Marilyn just did. Um, and what you say – you ask them the question, if I were with you to allow rape and incest abortions – now, I, I personally think every child, obviously, it's not just my personal opinion, it's a fact that that's a human being, so you ought not kill it. But politically, if you were to say, let's leave those just as they are and abandon all other abortions or, or, or abolish all other abortions or outlaw other abortions, would you be with me? And people will say, no. Well, why would you even bring up rape and incest then? It does nothing to help your case. You're for abortion all the time. I'm not saying Marilyn's for it, but she couldn't, didn't seem to understand what I was asking her. Um, rape and incest are the hard exceptions, but 99% or 90-something percent of all abortions have nothing to do with rape and incest. So why even bring that up? That's not the point. The point is we're killing our children for convenience. A friend of mine just uh, had triplets, and uh, when his wife went into the emergency or went into the doctor's, the doctor, doctor's office said, um, would you like a fetal reduction? Well, this woman, this mother, almost came out of her shoes and wanted to strangle the doctor. What do you mean fetal reduction? That's a euphemism for we want to kill one of your children. Anyway, friends, we're out of time here. Don't forget, Sam Houston State, Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Central, 7 Eastern. I'll be there. It'll also be at the Cross-Examine Facebook page where you can watch it streaming live. Then Virginia Tech the next night and Concord University in West Virginia the night after that. I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. See you next time. God bless.